Squares fielder. He's gone to the dog. Here we are for another episode of Gone to the Dogs. I'm your host, Steve Fielder. I've got a couple of sidekicks with me today, guys that I've known for a long time. One of them is a strapping young man, and the other one is a old man like me. <laughs> I've got my buddy Lee Curran from Piedmont, South Carolina, and his longtime friend and mine, Tommy Lanning. Tommy, where are you from? Belton, South Carolina, just a few miles down the road from Lee. All righty. Well, it's good to have you boys. I, I, I've known you, Tommy, about as long as I've known Lee, and uh, that's a long time. Lee, uh, how long we've been knowing each other? Uh, the mid-80s at least, yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would be uh, 35 years. Yeah, at least, and that, that that's uh, a few years uh, less than how old I am, <laughs> about, yeah, about 40. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's great to have you guys on, and we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff here as we get along uh, today, but I want to uh, kind of do a little house cleaning here and mention a few things that are coming up, if you guys will bear with me just a minute while I go through some of these things. Uh, Nub and Moore, my traveling partner and uh, anybody that's listened to a podcast of mine or read any articles in American Cooner or whatever have heard me talk about Nubbin. He's been on the, the podcast before, but he and I will be uh, attending uh, in on December 4th the Mississippi State Youth Championship. That's a UKC youth event. It'll be held in Coffeyville, Mississippi. Uh, that's going to be at the uh, Yalabusha, I guess, or Yalabusha. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's an Indian name. Uh, I learned that that was uh, Choctaw and Chickasaw Indian tribes, uh, perhaps named that area. But it's there uh, about two hours from where we hunt in the White River, so being out in that part of the world at that time enabled us to accept the invitation of Ronnie Stark, who contacted me and asked me to come out and speak to the youth. That's going to be on Saturday, December 4th. Uh, it'll be at the uh, multipurpose building there on Highway 7 out of Coffeyville, Mississippi. Now, they're going to have non-licensed drag race, tree and contest, squalling competition for the kids. And all the events start at 12 noon. Uh, and I'll be speaking to the youth there at 3 o'clock. They're also going to have UKC licensed youth events. There's a bench show at 4 o'clock and then a night hunt at 6 o'clock. Now, either of these, uh, all these events are no entry fee. Everything is totally free to the kids. And uh, what I'll do is I'll give you the names of the people that uh, to contact. Uh, that's Andrea Ross or J.J. Potts. And if you'll look at the events calendar on the UKC website, UKC Coonhounds, you'll be able to get the phone numbers for those events. Okay. Then, coming up, Lee, uh, this is something, uh, well, you and Tommy both are very familiar with this event, will be the Grand American in Orangeburg, South Carolina, coming up on January 7th and 8th. 
man, that's uh, coming up a lot sooner than than I thought. Man, we're sitting here a couple of weeks out from Thanksgiving, maybe three weeks at the most as we're recording this. And then, of course, uh, the Christmas holiday and the Grand Americans always the first full weekend after New Year's Day. So this year it'll be on January 7th and 8th. And I'll be there signing copies of my book, Gone to the Dogs, A Coon Hunter's Journey, there in the familiar spot on the corner there as you come in the door of the big white vendor's barn there at the Grand American. So if you want to pick up a copy, come by. I'll be happy to sign it for you. Then on February 11th and 12th in Batesville, Mississippi, Nubbin and I'll be out there for the UKC Winter Classic. Um, I'm kind of proud of the fact that I started the Winter Classic and uh, looking at the number of years, it's hard to imagine, but it's been 35 years. The uh, 2022 edition will be the 35th anniversary of the Winter Classic. It's now at the Civic Center in Batesville, Mississippi. Uh, It's a two-night hunt, so you can hunt the dog, same dog both nights. And uh, so look there again, look at the events calendar on the UKC website, and um, they'll, um, uh, you know, you'll get all the information. As I'm thinking about the Winter Classic, there's so many funny stories that I can remember back about the years that I was there. Did either of you boys attend the Winter Classic? Yes, sir. We both have. Um, probably went to the first one, I would imagine, with Lee Kearns. What year was the first Winter Classic? 1988. 88, yeah. Me, me and Lee were there in 1988. Yeah, yeah we sure were. That was a big year for me because that was also a year that a plot dog won the UKC World Championship. Oh, my God. <laughs> Up in Mount Gilead, Ohio, Jim Cannon and Spud Reynolds and Sizzling Heat. They won the UKC. Has the plot dog won since then? Uh, not the UKC. The uh, plot dog won the PKC World Hunt in 1999. We like those double numbers, I guess. John Walkup and Buckeye Bud won it at uh, Aurora, Kentucky, the PKC World. But no, that's the first and only plot to win the UKC World Championship. But at any rate, there was a lot of funny stories that went along with the uh, with the Winter Classic, and maybe you guys have some. But I remember one. We had a field rep named Harry Lister from Texas. Harry, did either of you know, Lee, you probably knew Harry, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, Harry was quite quite a character, and he came in uh, telling us the next morning after the first, we stayed at a motel there in Albany, Georgia, as they say down there, Albany. And uh, he said he went to get in his room, and he opened the door, and he heard screams coming from from inside the room and a guy jumped up and run to the door and said this my wife this my wife (laughs) so harry said "Uh oh something they put somebody else in my room (laughs) but the guy wanted to make make it clear (laughs) that he was behaving himself i guess but that was a funny story another thing about the winter classic that we never quite figured out all those years with ukc is every uh, Sunday morning when we get ready to leave the fairgrounds there in Albany, the Exchange Club fairgrounds, somebody would leave a dead coon 
there near somewhere near the headquarters building. I don't know what the significance of that was. I don't know if they were trying to make some kind of a statement <laughs> or whatever, but we could depend on it every time that we went to check around the grounds and make sure everything was squared away before we left, we'd have a dead raccoon uh, to contend with. If you have the answer out there to that mystery, I would sure like to hear from you. Uh, I know that, the Steve, the first uh, Grand Americans, our, our Winter Classic was held uh, out on the plantation. Yes, absolutely. That was at yeah. the South Darty Community Center. And I remember very yeah. well, as Fred Miller and I were on nine airplanes in two days looking at locations throughout the southeast for an event because UKC at that point didn't have a wintertime event in the South to uh, compare to the Grand American. And uh, so that's what we were looking for. And I remember when uh, Becky Salimi, who was with the Chamber of Commerce, took us out to the community center, and we went there and we turned up that tree-lined drive toward that clubhouse Fred said, this is the spot. And it just had that. I did to Grand American one year in the early 90s, and I'm not sure what year it was. And uh, uh, Connie was there with Fred. And uh, after the show, we were sitting around just, you know, talking. And he said, hey, you guys want to go get a bite to eat? And I was expecting, yeah, well, let's go to some big fancy steakhouse or something. And. (laughs) I, I uh, Shirley was with me, and we wound up at the Waffle House <laughs> having breakfast for dinner at night. The good old awful house. <laughs> How yes. many coon hunters have have, have been uh, saved from starvation by the Waffle House? Well, that's yeah. cool. Well, and there was also the story of the county commission lady uh, that wanted to stop the convoys, and uh, I've told that story on a podcast before, but. We used to convoy everybody out in their truck, line them up, have a deputy sheriff stop the traffic sure. and shoot them down the highway to their satellite club. And we got the convoy all ready to go, this one particular one, and it was a long one. And I was all the way at the back, and we'd put a CB at one end and another one up at the other end. And, and so when all the cards were checked and everybody was ready to go, I'd – have, you know, radio up to the uh, the head of the line to get them out of there. Well, the voice came back, you better get up here, Steve, there's a problem. And so I walk up that long line of trucks and get up there, and there's a deputy sheriff's car sitting there with the light on. And, of course, he was the one that would be blocking the traffic for us so we could get the convoy out. And I went up to him, and I said, sir, what's the problem? And he said, this lady here says... Uh, you know, she's going to block, uh, stop this convoy, and, and she was going to lay down in the road if she had to. And so I've got her in the car here, and I've called in to find out what they want me to do with her. So I, I attempted to speak to the lady, and she was totally out of sorts. Now, this was a, a lady in her 60s, uh, very well-dressed, driving a, an expensive automobile, and she said, uh, I'm going to stop. Yes, go ahead. The, the reason you had the convoys, Rudy, didn't have GPSs back then to tell us how to get to those 
a satellite. Yeah, club well, that's too, that's you know? true, and uh, we didn't. And uh, uh, thankfully, we we graduated from that to maps, where we just send them out with a map. And then now, thankfully, we have the GPSs to get them where where they need to go. But at any rate, I'll cut this story short. Uh, I attempted to speak to her, and she said, oh, you're going to traumatize those raccoons, and I'm going to stop this hunt. And I said, lady, we're not taking any raccoons. We don't kill anything. We don't have any dogs. And uh, she was just very out of sorts, and the deputy said, it won't do any good to talk to her. I've tried. And so as the case went, uh, he was waiting on the call, and the call was, we'll tell her to get in her car and and leave you guys alone or bring her downtown. Well, it turned out she was a member of the county commission, but she wasn't the next year when, when we went back. She had been com- conveniently replaced. But that's just some of the uh, the memories that I have of Winter Classic and hunting out on the Southern Heritage Plantation when my good friend Fred Bright was another great memory. Maybe we'll get Fred on the podcast one of these days and we'll talk about some of those things. Another thing I wanted to mention that my annual uh, trip to the White River National Wildlife Refuge is coming up. Uh, Nubbin and I and our gang out there, we got five guys that have been there together now for quite a few years. Unfortunately, we've lost some and we've gained some, but Nubbin Moore and Keith Durkee and Randy Smith from Mississippi and Morris Hardy uh, from Mississippi, and I will be out there November 28th through about the 5th of December. So really looking forward to that, and I'll be recording some episodes of uh, the Gone to the Dogs podcast while I'm out there. We may even get some off the tailgate while the hunt's going on. And uh, then the last thing I want to mention before we get into the uh, reason I've got Lee and Tommy here on the podcast today, I wanted to mention the Coon Hunting Conversations group page on Facebook. I started this thing a couple of years ago because I wanted to have a place where coon hunters could come online, could have a conversation without being ridiculed, and assaulted, (laughs) that often happens on social media these days, a place where there would be no advertising, no trade days, no junk, Uh, simply coon hunters coming, tossing a question out there, making a comment, sharing the pictures of their hounds and their hunts and so forth. And, man, this thing has really been a great success Uh, As of today, we have uh, 7,200 members of the Coon Hunting Conversation group. And to give you an idea how this thing grows, there's been 781 new members just since October the 13th. Um, That's uh, We've had like a 47% increase in new members coming in. So... uh, that I looked this morning before us uh, recording, and there was ten new members there by by about eight o'clock this morning. So, anyway, it is a private group. You have to go in and you have to answer a couple questions. So we try to keep those that aren't coon hunters out of the group. But uh, there, remember, there's no selling allowed. So if you post something on there, an old beat up Garmin that your dog's chewed up. 
and you want to try to get a little gas money out of it, you're going to have to do that somewhere else. Uh, we'll take the post down, and if you do it again, then we're going to have to block you from the group, and we sure don't want to do that. But anyway, check it out. It's on Facebook. It's called Coon Hunting Conversations. All right. The commercials are all done. The event calendar is all done, and I want to get down to the meat of this podcast, and that's talking to you guys about uh, just some some coon hunting and some experiences that we've had uh, together. Anybody listening to uh, this uh, podcast, if you live long enough, you're going to find yourself at the point of life that Lee and I find ourselves today. Uh, you know, we're kind of, as my friend up in West Virginia, Nathan Ed says, we're standing in the checkout line. But uh, we may be uh, got a lot of miles on us, but but like that old, that Ford truck I got out here in the driveway, we're still purring along pretty good. But I wanted to bring Lee on today because uh, we, you know, uh, we want to talk about what it's like to be at this stage in our coon hunting careers, and uh, you know, the physical aspects, of course, uh, tend to take their toll on us. But uh, how we're staying involved, some of the things that we're doing to keep active in a sport that we've loved and, and participated in so long. And, you know, I, I first met uh, Lee, I think, uh, was just simply watching him uh, beating everybody that came in the door in the Coonhound bench shows. Uh, a lot of major shows and Lee, you might remember the first time I, we met. I can't put my finger on that first time, but I do remember that when, uh, uh, you know, you invited me to go down to Tallahassee, uh, and I think that was maybe when uh, I was still with you, Casey, with the Winter Classic. We went down and hunted with Johnny Brinkley, who is a longtime friend, and with H.L. Meyer, and, and I think maybe your uh, sons were along that trip but anyway lee it's awfully good to have you and and tommy we're going to talk to you in a minute as well because you and lee have 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 a long story together but uh lee how long of i want to i want to thank you i want to thank you steve for asking us it's, it's it's an honor to to be able to come on here and, and talk about the old times and how good we had it. Well, then. you know, they we talk about the dogs and we say the deader the better. <laughs> Hopefully we're not in that category yeah, yet. Yeah, uh, We had a little uh, technical glitch to the, uh, today. Uh, and normally when we record these podcasts, we're uh, able to see each other uh, like across the room. And that really helps with a conversation so we don't run over each other. But we're not able to do that uh, today. But I do want to thank Tommy Lanning for making it possible for us to record this podcast. Uh, it's just that we don't have video going both ways. Uh, so if we kind of run over each other every once in a while in the course of the podcast, uh, I'm sure the listeners will understand that. But, Lee, I, I want you to uh, – you've been on a podcast with me before. I've written uh, some articles in American Cooner magazine about you uh, and about your involvement in sport. And I think most anybody that's been around the UKC events over 
the last 30, 40 years know you, and maybe more years than that. Uh, give us a little bit of your background. I'm going to title this uh, podcast, Gone to the Dogs at the Kentucky River, uh, because that's kind of where your origins are, and that's kind of what your kennel name has been down through the years and all that evolution. But tell us a little bit of background about you. Well, to start off with, you mentioned Kentucky River. That was very close to, to where I lived, and it, it's been a, a memory to, to be there. But uh, I, um, I started hunting probably seven or eight years old. My, my parents were never uh, real controlling on our hunting or activities, and uh, I was able to live on a farm. I was able to possum hunt or squirrel hunt or whatever uh, just about any afternoon after school I wanted to. After, after I got my chores done, and uh, like I say, I went to school at uh, Kentucky State University, and uh, now I'm in South Carolina. A lot of people want to know why you're in South Carolina. Well, uh, work brings everybody different places, and and I I'm retired from the Michelin Tire Company. And uh, when I came to South Carolina in 1980, I didn't even know Michelin made tires in the United States. And here we are. But uh, just a farm boy, raised up in the country. Uh, I think you and I have a lot of the same backgrounds that way, and uh, got into dogs with an older brother and uh, local people, and been doing it since, I, I guess, 70 years or so. 70 years, and, and you know, that sounds like a long time, but when you live it, <laughs> it it's a very short time, because I'm sure I, I my first experience coon hunting, I was about three years old, and I'm 75 now. So, you know, that 70 years goes by <laughs> pretty fast. Uh, you know, can you remember back uh, to some of your earliest experiences hunting? Uh, well, yeah, I, I just, uh, when I was a kid growing up, uh, my parents actually raised a, a, a kid, child, well, he was in his teens when his mom uh, passed away and then there was a family issue with his uh, stepmom and he came to our house and stayed with Jake, my brother. They were friends, they were the neighbor. And he he was a real coon hunter in, in the group and uh, I, I just couldn't wait to, to get to Friday night, Saturday night to go uh, to, to be with the dogs in the woods, and and I've been asked this question so many times, and I guess uh, I love to fish, I love to do all the uh, hunting activity, rabbit hunting, everything, but uh, when you just want one, I mean, you can't do them all and do them the way you should, and I guess just the love of the dogs, to watch the dogs work was the reason that I got into coon hunting. I just, you know, I you know me probably as well as about any hunter out there and dogs are number one uh to my family and myself yeah well of course uh i think all of us uh, tommy uh I, we're going to talk about some of the people that you've been in, influential in getting them involved in coon hunting and I, I believe Tommy, you qualify as one of those people, don't you? I would say uh, um, I, he started with me, and I guess I had to change a diaper when he first uh, came started hunting with me. So 
it's been a while, and Tommy's not a spring chicken now anyway. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Tommy, you going to defend yourself here, or are you going to let him get by with that? Uh, it's about the truth, uh, Steve. I tell you, that's, I guess that's, that's what I was just sitting there trying to think about a while ago. I guess I started hunting with Lee in probably 1987, maybe 1988. I guess it had to be 87 because we went to the Winter Classic together in 88, and uh, that was a long time ago. He came to my house, Steve, one day, and... and uh, I think his mom brought me, and 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 uh, we lived probably seven or eight miles from uh, Tommy's place. And he wanted he he'd been coon hunting with some of the guys around here. And he asked me, he said, "Would you care if I hunted with you some?" And I said, "No, I, I I'd love to have you." And it kind of was a godsend for me. I I've always been one that liked to hunt a lot by myself and 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 work my dogs that way, and and also with other people, but. Tommy was somebody I could get to go, you know, go pick him up, and we'd head to the woods, and he was he was he was pretty tough. <laughs> now, Steve, as Steve, I will say I I'm gonna have to I'll have to step in here because I know why Lee did that. Now, as I get older, I have several young kids that go with me now, and it's a blessing because I let them do all the work. <laughs> I think that's ever. <laughs> that's what Lee I think doing. that's ever. <laughs> We we were we were we were to show somewhere at one of the big big shows and Jake was with me and and Tommy and uh, you know we give the dogs a bath and and, and uh, uh, Tom, Tommy was in in the shower with this underwear on and we were handing him dogs here give him a bath give this one a bath and so yeah yeah like Tommy said I used to. Well, it's always good when you as the years go by to have younger hunters in the group and I remember when I was young hunting with my dad and his friends I've told the stories many times especially when we would be bear hunting and we would walk with our dogs we didn't know what a rig dog was uh, all we knew is to couple up the dogs two together and each hunter might have four a total of four and we just walked the mountain all day till we found a bear track or the start dog started one and those guys would all long-legged fellas seemed to me like, and they would be ahead of me, and I'd be running to catch up. Well, they'd sit down and take a rest, and by the time I caught up, they were ready to get up and, and take off again. So it, I, I know what it's like to be the young buck in a crowd of hunters for sure. Well, Lee, you know, as we have talked many times over the years, and I want to share with our listeners Back when you started going to the hunts, let, let's lay that foundation just a little bit about, uh, you know, you and, and, and a few of your experiences. But I also want to talk about some of the famous dogs that you hunted with, uh, you know, back in the day. And there's been quite a few of them as we uh, as we think about uh, the history. And I get a lot of requests uh in the podcast that I've done in the past for more history. People like the history of coon hunting, especially about the famous dogs of the past and the hunters. And you certainly have a lot of experience uh, with both of those. Uh, let's lay a little bit of a foundation back there when you started going to the hunts and then some of the dogs that you hunted with down through the years and just just take your time. Just share whatever's on your heart. Yeah, well, Steve, uh, 
Back in the day, nobody had a truck hardly. Everybody hunted out of the trunk of their car, their family car a lot of times. And uh, we uh, were fortunate. We had, uh, when I first started, my dad had an old farm truck that we could hunt out of or that I could. And, and then I guess my first major hunt was Redbone Days in 1962. And it was in Cordon, uh, Indiana. Uh, which is a short distance out of Louisville. Uh, there was probably more grade dogs there, dogs that weren't registered than there were uh, in, in the uh, western port portion of the show. Uh, and, and some of these, uh, most of these grade dogs were the better dogs of the group because, as you know, about that time, we just, uh, people just started registering dogs. I got my first uh, train walker dog that had UKC papers, and it was somewhere around 64, 65, somewhere in that area. And, and uh, uh, me and a, a friend of mine bought her together, and he, he finally relinquished his half to me or whatever part. And this was 1964, so most, a lot of these dogs that people hunted in, especially the, the kid that lives on the farm or the people with the, in the rural area, they didn't even keep their dogs tied. They just ran loose on the farm and would grab them up and, and, and go, go hunting. And then from there on, it got into, as you get into the competition, you get into, well, I'm, I hear about this one, I hear about that one, and I... Uh, you know, this dog and that dog. And uh, so from from there, I just uh, went on to um, some of these dogs. I would go find Now, them you were getting your information out of yeah. the magazines probably at that time, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, uh, uh, the Cooner came out along about that, that time frame. And then the other one that... Uh, uh, Mountain Music, the, the, Ed, the Eddie, Eddie the Ross... Yeah, the mountain music, yeah, and, and all of those. But also, I was uh, I met this guy Fred Sims uh, through work and uh, our kid. We both were, and uh, Fred was big into wanting to see all these dogs, and and we would take off on a Friday night, and you know, Spring Creek Rock was nothing to ride. To. Of course, now remember we were in Kentucky at the time. Uh, I was. Uh, Fortunate enough to, to hunt with Mr. Elmer Howard uh, qu quite a bit and uh, uh, Fanny River Joe. But I guess the first really, really impression I ever had with the dog was Banjo too. And uh, uh, then, uh, you know, we, we can come right on down the line. I, I had an opportunity to, I think it was 1965, Maybe 66. I'm not very good at remembering those days because back then, you know, you just went. And I was at the Illinois State, which is over in southern Illinois, and I had the uh, the, the the female, and I was going to hunt her. Well, the president of the club and uh, came over, and he said, Lee, I got a job for you. And, you know, back then, um, we never sent a cast to the woods, didn't have a non-hunting judge. And I said, what you need? And I'd already paid my $5 entry fee. And he said, I got two grand nights and I need somebody to judge them. Well, who are they? And lo and behold, it was Banjo 2 and House of Chief. They were the only two grand nights in the whole hunt. 
And and I said, give me the scorecard, <laughs> baby. I'd love to do this, you know. And and it was it was and 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 both uh, Joe House and and James Merchant, they were just gentlemen out there. And and I got you know four hours. It was a four hour hunt, and to see those dogs go, and and I can't say that I, one of them was better than the other. Uh, one of them had to win, but they were. And, and and they were just totally gentlemen. Then there were four or five other people that had gone along, you can imagine, with, with those dogs. And that was an experience I'll never forget, because here I am in the, the high echelon, and I'm 24, 25 years old. And uh, it, it I, I don't know if I could go back and see a cast I ever went on that I enjoyed or were as enthused as I was on that cast, and you could imagine that at 24 years well, old. Well, I certainly can, and for our listeners, many of them, I'm sure, are guys that, you know, are starting out in their coon hunting uh, experience and um, maybe middle-aged at most. Uh, Lee, let's establish real quick, how old are you now? Well, my next birthday, <laughs> I'll be 83. Well, yeah, that's... I was born in 1939. That's the year my dad went in the Army. <laughs> there was an old saying back in West Virginia, <laughs> somebody <laughs> would do something, they'd start a job or they happen to get married or whatever. He said, well, that lasted about as long as Pat stayed in the Army. <laughs> but anyway, 1939, that's amazing. My dad uh, was born in 1920. And I was born in 1946, so we just kind of established for these young folks out there. Uh, but what I, the point I wanted to make is that this was huge in those days, huge to have two of the most famous stud dogs in the country, uh, most advertised. Everybody got their news in those days. There was no internet. Uh, you know, we waited for the news, Coonhound news, to come out at, in the monthly editions of those magazines. Uh, we didn't even really jump on the phone and just talk for hours to people about coon dogs the way we do now. Um, there was such a thing as a long distance charge <laughs> to make a phone call. And uh, a lot of times communication was done through the mail through postcards or letters. Uh, do you agree with that? Oh, oh sure. And, and I know that uh, uh, just talking to both uh, Joe and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and James Merchant, uh, they had kind of, they didn't live far from each other. And, and I'm not sure, 100 miles or so, uh, one in southern Illinois and one in western Kentucky. And they kind of stayed away from going to the same hunts. Of course, something as big as a state championship and things, uh, they they didn't want to compete against each other out of respect, because uh, that was just the type of people they were, and and that was something always in my mind that they really didn't they weren't scared of each other. I'm sure they're dogs, but they just wanted to hey let's just stay away from this hunt. I'll go to that hunt. You go to this hunt type thing, and I don't know how deep that went. Of course. Uh, uh, I liked uh, uh, House of Chief because I think the one thing Joe uh, showed him at the uh, 1964 Oblong, Illinois, at the, at the World Show, it, it, while he was hunting him, 
And uh, if if I'm I'm not I know he won the Walker part. I think he won the World Show too. And people don't realize that that uh, that was the type of dog that Chief was. And but Banjo too was a beautiful dog. He just didn't have the uh, the feet construction that that. The chief ad, you might say. Well, yeah, and, you know, we saw the ads and, of course, uh, uh, was uh, talking to uh, someone earlier on. I think it was Tom Hopkins that had the Lipper Dog and talking about how he looked at those pictures in the magazines, you know, of, of House's chief and what a beautiful hound he was. And, uh, you know, you mentioned something there that I wanted to, to just comment on a little bit, and that was about that $5 entry fee. And, uh, you know, the thing is, this, this idea of coon hunting for money has really taken off and uh, has created uh, what some would call an elite class of coon hunters now, uh, because of the entry fees and the paybacks on some of these hunts. And I did a little bit of research for an article that I just wrote for American Cooner and was looking at it. And in the month of, of November, which is the month we're recording this podcast in, I think there was like 19 hunts advertised uh, by PKC that were going to be $500 entry fees or more. And, uh, you know, and, and those entry fees range from 500 up to 1000 to dollars $1,500, $5,000. I think there were three of them. And there was one that had a $6,500 entry fee. So you can see how far things have come from the early days because I was trying to remember myself about, you know, what were some of the earliest entry fees that I paid. And I think you're right, probably 5 to $10 uh, would get you in a night hunt back in those days. Yeah, well, Steve, I, I, at the time, I had a terrific job. I mean, for a kid my age and uh, for a major company, and I was making like $1.75, $1.80 an hour. So $5 was a quite a bit of money when you're only, you know, making a couple of dollars an hour. And and that was equal to about anyone there in that time frame. You you remember, uh, I I was on top of the world making a starting out at a dollar sixty two an hour, and and making a thirty eight dollar house payment. Before we start sounding like our parents who said you know they walked to school in the snow and it was uphill both ways. I, I really do remember yeah. my very first, well, the first job was a paper route, but <laughs> my first actual job where I had to go and punch a clock and put in uh, 8, 10, 12 hours, uh, the minimum wage was a dollar an hour. So I, I know exactly what you're yes. talking about there. And uh, uh, so sure. the times have really changed. Do you remember anything particular about either one of those dogs that you hunted with that night? Uh, anything about their mouths or the way they operated uh, or whatever? Banjo 2 was probably the loudest dog I've ever heard. Him and Boone Creek Mike. Boone Creek Mike was a pup out of Banjo 2. And, and uh, I mean, they they were just 
I hear people say, oh, yeah, but uh, he's aggressive. No, he wasn't. When Banjo Tootreed, he didn't know there was nothing else in the world but him. I mean, that was how, how he treated. And I've, I've, I've never seen dogs treat like that that weren't healed or something crazy about them. I, well, I've never heard one that treated that loud. And uh, uh, a fellow asked me one time, said, how did it tree? I said, well... He only makes one bark, but he never shuts it off. It's yeah, 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 just, you know, right on. And loud, loud. And and House Chief had more of a, a chop mouth dog, but he was really loud also. He wasn't quiet. He was a big booming mouth on him. I, I love Chief. I um, <clears throat> actually bred the, the bell female I had to Chief, um, and we didn't get any pups. He was getting older. And we did not get any pups, but I no, I I I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't make a lot of difference in them. I just hunted more with banjo too. That was the only time I ever hunted with Chief. But but to go on from there, you know, we we pick up other dogs. I know, uh, say in the early nineties, Finn River Joe. I hunted with Joe when he was when Mister Howard had him. Uh, he was a nice hound. He did not. Uh, to the same things that the banjo dog did. He was Finley Riverbred, obviously. And and there was some difference in the, the two bloodlines, which they were the bloodlines in the day. Uh, the the banjo dogs, would, they would strike a track and they'd just go zipping, cutting through the country. The Finley River dogs would, uh, and, and I bred the Finley River Joe, so I liked them well. But the Finley River dogs would, uh, they were the dogs that, They'd hit, they would take a track and they would work it through the country. And I don't mean grub and make take all night and everything like that. But they stayed, in other words, closer to the track when they were trailing than the banjo dogs did. The banjo dogs, all of my own, uh, were just slinging around through the country. And, and not necessarily mouthy, but you just know that they were just cutting and slashing. We used to call that... Uh, Fenner River Joe was uh, a just good-looking hound. I think I've told you this story before. Uh, Mr. Howard had him in Pierville, Kentucky. At a, I don't remember the club name. It's not even there anymore. And he was going to show him in the show. And, of course, I was showing my dogs. And uh, he was picked him up in his arms. Back then, they didn't have no age limit. And he went over and, and got the dipstick out of his truck. He had a Ford truck, by the way, <laughs> like you got. And... Uh, a lot older, and uh, he took the dipstick and, and, a, and a napkin, a paper thing he had there, and would polish in the black on him with the oil out of the dipstick on his truck to show Fenner. That Fenner River Joe. Now, bear in mind when John Monroe bought uh, Joe, I, I happened to be with him that night, and uh, he was, his name was Kentucky River Joe, and he was a grand show champion named Kentucky River Joe. And of course, I have no problem. He's Finley River bred dog. Why not? You know, Finley River was uh, uh, the dog's name. And then from there, we, you know, I, like I said, I bred a Fred Sims. Actually, he and I both borrowed a banjo two female. There was a sister to Boone Creek Mike, and we were Rushville, Indiana. I think it was '72, and bred her to to uh, Finley River Joe, and from that cross came, we had, Fred and I had four puppies out of the litter. We split the litter with uh, 
uh, Mr. Robinson over in Lancaster, Kentucky. And the four that we had, three of them were terrific. The other one didn't have a chance. And she was just as good. I had two of them, Fred had two. And I hunted the Dinah female and I just kind of let the one named Jill go. And, and to get on with the story, uh, 78, I believe it was. Uh, and I never bred a lot of dogs. I, I'm not the person that just wanted to have a litter of pups. I did something because I wanted something for me. And and, and my, my Jake and Fred and all of us. So I, I, I've done them. We bred Jill. This is how dogs come out, I guess, which was not the better of the, of the four we had to go Creek Mundo. And I got to go to, uh, we went to Arkansas and, and I hunted with Mundo the night we were down there and I loved him. You know, he won the world show and placed like sixth or seventh in the world that one year. And from that litter of puppies, the way dogs go, there was five or six terrific dogs come out of that litter. Uh, Rock, Kentucky River Rock came out of that litter. So they did so well, so a year later or so, I I want to breed Donna. If Jill could have puppies that good, and she's not as good as Donna, one and and a Donna only had one puppy that could equal four or five in the other litter. And explain that to me. I mean, they were litter mates, but the uh, the female we didn't hunt much had the better litter of puppies. But Go Creek Mundo was a nice. Well, animal. I recall hunting a, against a young dog out of Mundo one night when I was hunting the the Bronco dog that I had uh, the best dog that I've uh, personally owned. And, man, I was really impressed with that young dog. Uh, he treated a couple of coons. He was quick yeah. on both ends. He did make a young dog mistake, and he, he just couldn't turn down a whitetail that went <laughs> took him over the ridge. And, and in that, that rough uh, Virginia uh, territory, you know, took him out of the hunt, basically, and, and uh, I was able to get, to come in with a better score, but um, yeah, you know that that uh, experience in breeding dogs is something I'm very familiar with, and I won't elaborate. Uh, sometime later, I'll do a podcast on how my dad and I started a strain of dogs and hunted them for many many years. But I took littermate sisters and bred two. Their uncle, a dog that belonged to Everett Weems in, in uh, Salem, Illinois, and uh, got totally different dogs in those two litters. I mean, they were as different as day and night. And these sisters were not really all that much uh, different. They looked a little different, uh, but their their attitudes and the way they ran track and and opened in their mouths and all that were pretty much the same. But that just goes to show you can't breed paper to paper. And just because a litter turned out one way one time doesn't mean, I mean, a cross doesn't mean it's going to happen the other way. And I think that's what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, well, for, from, the, from the cross we made there on uh, uh, um, with, with Mundo, uh, it... it it go back to to the rock dog that I had, which was Rowdy's daddy, and and uh, he was uh, the group of them. They 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 and I'm I'm not a big time tracking dog. You got to track before you can tree, but I don't want no dog standing around on his head boohooing. 
you know, go. And the old Anna female, I'll assure you, she didn't run a track like Rock did, but I never saw her back up on a track in my life. And I can't, you know, I, I come down to South Carolina, we got swamps and I know, and, and I would see dogs running back and forth through the swamp, go down here, down this end, back on that end. And uh, a friend that I hunted with some down here then, I started with, well, yeah, that coon, if the coon's looping in the swamp, why don't the track get better than the third time he went through it? You know, why don't they catch up with him? I, I just, but anyway, the Mundo dogs could really, really blister a track. And not a lot of mouth. They weren't mouthy dogs. But they were, they were the, the best I've ever seen at taking the track from point A to point B and treeing it uh, without a lot of mouth. I don't care for a bunch of wallering around. And, and they could get just better than anything else that, that I've come along with. Of course, you know, from there we took um, uh, uh, a female out of Radar, Spring Creek Radar, who you and I have talked about. I know you've seen Radar. He was an absolutely beautiful dog. And Radar would just, uh, uh, my, one of my favorites uh, all the time. And of course, uh, Billy Stinson owned him and uh, you, you'll never find a better fellow than Billy Stinson. You just, he was just terrific. And, and a lot of times that I've seen in my, in my whole time that I've been running these dogs that a lot of dogs reflect the, the, the people that own them. You know what I mean? They, they just, uh, uh, I don't know whether you like the dog because you like the person or you like the person because you like the dog. But uh, Radar was one of the all-time favorite. Of course, I hunted with Spring Creek Rock one night. I don't want to go back on all. I've hunted with a lot of dogs. And, and Rock was a lot like Joe, Fen River Joe, uh, uh, than what I saw. And, and a lot like the Dinah female that I had. They, 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 there was no nonsense. They would strike a track. They would uh, take it from point A to point B, sit down and treat it, and stay there till you got there. And that, to me, that's what a dog's supposed to be. Of course, you know much about me as a lot of people, my dog. I, I'm not going to put up with a crazy dog. He don't stay at my house. He don't bark in my kennels. He don't, he just doesn't, it, it's just a torture to have to go out and, and run down an idiot. Well, you know? I agree, Lee, and I know that's always been kind of like your trademark. I've hunted with you many nights, and your dog's always handled extremely well. Uh, they were good-looking dogs. You didn't have to back up to them with the feed pan. And I know that you have certain standards yeah. uh, with your dogs, and I know that that there's bound to be some favorites that you've had down through the years. Uh, but uh, And I want to talk about those in just a minute. But I did an article uh, with you one time several, uh, quite a few years ago now uh, called Every Stream Has Its Source, and it was talking about a fairly popular strain of tree and walker dogs called the Buck Creek Dogs. Uh, and you know a lot of information about the beginnings of those dogs and the background of those dogs. I know uh, there was the, the Mr. Smith dog while I was with the uh, uh, AKC, I believe, that won our world championship a couple of times um, and uh, was a nice dog. I know that uh, those dogs have been real popular Uh 
and and I just wanted you to give a little bit of, of that background about those dogs. Well, uh, Buck Creek Drama, the, the original Buck Creek dog, I'm sure I never heard of a Buck Creek dog before this, was born in my backyard, uh, Kentucky River Rock, which is sour, which is the same sour as, uh, as Rowdy. They were half-brothers, the, the Rowdy dog. And uh, he was out of a Finley River female uh, that uh, my nephew had, and my nephew was probably in school at the time. And uh, when Buck Creek Drum was like uh, 14 months old, my nephew sold him Charlie Butler. And uh, I guess the rest of the Buck Creek dogs are history from there. But Buck Creek Drum, mom, granddad was Gold Creek Mundo. And uh, uh, his, his, I guess it was Finley River. And I don't know which one of the Finley River dogs was, was the, the, the mother of of his his mother, his grandmother inside. But uh, Buckery, Drama, Trin Coons and, and everything, but I had uh, uh, another young dog at the time and I, I drum didn't really belong to me, it belonged to my nephew. But uh, that's how the drum dog got here. Uh, he's Finna River uh, bred, pretty close, and uh, the grandpup of uh, Gold Creek Mundo. And from there, uh, uh, I just thought, okay, he's a, he's a dog. He wouldn't finish dog nowhere near. And, but Charlie Butler took him and, and they, from there, they, the Buck Creek dog took off. I mean, that, that's where they came from. And uh, uh, they won a lot. And, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, Steve, a, a, a female out of Buck Creek yes. Gracie, was that her name? I'm trying to. Won the world HCHA world back then, and and then one of the other dogs was third a, a Buck Creek dog in the same hunt. I, I, I'm not sure about this, but I know Gracie. Yeah, won the I world think hunt. Gra- Gracie was a the, female the that belonged to Charlie Butler, as you said, and I think most people will associate Charlie with the Buck Creek dogs. And I believe the story was, and I tend to yeah. be forgetful. At times, but I believe the story was that Gracie was stolen or disappeared at one time, and Charlie was uh, had an extensive search going on for her. And that reminds me also of a another. uh, I'm not sure if Gracie won the World ACHA World Hunt. I'd have to check the list. Uh, Maybe she did, but I know of another dog, the uh, the Sandy dog that Hank Horn up in North India, uh, Dickie's old Sandy, was a female that ended up being stolen for a period of time uh, and all, and I think was recovered. So there's a lot of stories, and they all kind of run together uh, with me, but uh, that's all good history, and it's always great to be able to hear it, the old saying right from the horse's mouth, somebody that knows, you know, for sure, uh, were involved in these dogs. Now, the Kentucky River kennel name, uh, there's a story that you tell that I want you to share with our listeners about, and the gentleman that you mentioned before, Mr. Elmer Harrod from Kentucky. Uh, Mr. Elmer is somebody that I remember very well. Uh, he would come to plot days. I think the reason he came to plot days pretty much was that he had a swim dog uh, that was either plot or, or or part plot 
that he liked to enter in the water races and all, but he would come to plot days and play his fiddle, and what a fine gentleman he was. And, of course, we think about the Finley River dogs that he had and, and Jack and Jill and those Kentucky River Jack and Jill and those dogs. Let's talk about that a little bit and then how that Kentucky River kennel name you know, was kind of passed on to you. Well, uh, I, I knew Mr. Howard from a time I was 19, 20 years old, hunting in the hunts, and he was always at hunts, and he kind of like had a magic to it, all kinds of tricks, and and, and uh, Mr. Howard was kind of in the gaming business, pinball machines and things like that, and uh, we would we would go to the hunts, and I would draw out with his dogs, and he had he would always have three or four dogs, and he had handlers, and, you know, he was too old, to, like me now, uh, to to participate. But he would be there in the clubhouse, and, and I would come in, and, and, and we didn't drive our own vehicles. It would be three or four of us pulled together to go, and then when you got there, you would, uh, you know, whoever had a vehicle and a cast would all get in one and the best they could and just go on a cast. And... He would stay at the club. I would come in and talk to him from time to time. And, and I hunted with him uh, several times. And we were in Shelbyville, Kentucky. And uh, he uh, he called his dog Kentucky River Dog. Well, I had named uh, Dinah Nose Dog Kentucky Timber. Actually, Fred had. And uh, we were sitting at the club. I don't know. I'd had one of them bad nights that I was used to. And uh, he said, Lee, he said, I, I am. And he was getting pretty feeble. He said, I know all your dogs, Dinah and, and, and them are all related to my dogs out of Joe and whatever. Would you care? Would you carry on the Kentucky River dogs? Uh, and, and that's when we had uh, Rock and Elma change their name. He said, I, I, would, I would be honored if you would be the one to continue on with the Kentucky River uh, dogs. And uh, I, I I worked in Frankfurt and, and Mr. Howard lived in Frankfurt and uh, I would go pick him up at, after work from time to time and, and, and we would hunt and, and like I told you earlier he had called me one day and he said John Monroe is coming uh, to, to to hunt with Joe he said I'm, I can't I can't continue on I gotta I gotta quit I gotta do something else and I can't take care of my dogs and I said, uh, he said, would you go with me? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you. So uh, the rest is history. They, they, uh, John had some guy with him, and it was raining that night. And, and Joe did a terrific job, and uh, John wound up uh, buying uh, the dog that night. And and, and I have a story about John Monroe. Uh, back in 1965, we were in Lee Summit, Missouri, to ACHA World, and uh, I would hear the Fennel River Spot wanted. I never hunted with Spot, but uh, we were, Fred Sim, Bobby Durham, and I were, were sleeping in a tent. We couldn't afford no motel room. And uh, uh, John and, and Lee, his brother, had a Ford truck with a, a plywood topper on it and had hay in there, and they were sleeping in it, backed up to our tent. And, and I, th- this is a story that John told me one time, he said, Lee, I never got home till it was all over the world that I'd bought the, the world hunt and things. And, and, and that's all, you know, people talk about everybody. But he said, honest to God, he said, I had $35 when I went to Lee Summit, Missouri. 
And that's what I had, plus my entry fee in my pocket. And I know that he told people this before, so it's nothing new. He said, I couldn't, I, I couldn't buy a hamburger. And it's amazing, you know, the, how people start from there. But anyway, uh, knowing Joe as well as I do, and, and he, uh, he came to, I guess at Batesville, yeah. And, uh, Shirley was with me and, and, and we were outside and we were having a, a little, um, stuff out of cooler, you know, having some sandwiches and Penny and Jan, my son was there. And Tommy may have been there that day. And well, John came by, you want something to eat? And he said to Nate, well, later he said, who's that lady you were with out here? I said, that was my wife. He said, nah, you're not that lucky, you know. But uh, it, it was, John Monroe's had some of the, the dogs, you know, we, we left out the, the Fender River Chief Dog and all those, but you can't put Merchants or House or any of them over, over John either, because he did his share too. Well, I think we have to admit, you know, as we look back in history, that those were probably the three most famous names in in treeing walker history and coon hunting history. It's is James Merchant, of course, won the ACHA World Hunt three times. Uh, that's never been uh, equaled, and of course, Joe House. Uh, you know, and and uh, John Monroe, uh, they were the big three. I would I'd have to say in Walker Dog history. Now, many years from now, uh, historians may look back, and there may be uh, you know new new players and and a new list. But certainly, you know, when this night hunt game started after the war, and the boys sat down there in Alabama and drew up a set of rules to hunt by, and which actually are basically the same rules we hunt by today with, with uh, you know, refinements along the way, that, uh, you know, when the thing really got rolling, the magazine started growing, the events started growing across the country, those were the names of people that you heard. And, of course, there were a lot of others that that were kind of, you know, in other breeds, certainly, and all. But those three right there, I mean, they those guys were the were the, the studs of the Kunal world. Don't you agree? Yeah, and, and everything that I've had over the years. It's, and, you know, Mundo was, had a lot of Fender River in him, too. But all the dogs that I've had, they go back to those three. And, and but now you can't, you know, I see people that just kind of gets under my skin. And, and I don't want to put anybody down, but I'm pure people. There's no Fender River dogs now. There's no Banjo dogs now. Not, there may be Fender River names, but they're 25 generations ago. So, you know, the dogs are different. I, toward my end of where I had to quit, the dogs weren't, I think you and I have talked about this, and I, I would like just to interject this for people to understand. Back in, you just mentioned it, back after the war and depression and all that stuff, people cleaned wildlife out. A lot of people had food. If they had meat, they went to the woods and caught something. And in the day, like um, in the 50s and 60s, we didn't have a lot of coons. And I remember a lot of times Jake and Fred and I would go, or whoever we had, and uh, uh, we would um, um, not had a, not even have a bark. We'd hunt a couple of hours, and well, we just want to go home. 
And, and I remember, well, we had a good hunt. The dogs wasn't out there doing crazy stuff and running things. The, the point I'm trying to make is if, if a dog struck a coon in that day, he had to run that coon or trail that coon or chase that coon till he'd treat it. So you had to have dogs with tracking ability. And as I saw the latter part of my career here that uh, coons were real thick, even in Kentucky where they were kind of thin, a dog can strike a track now and run 200 yards and find another one up a tree in a lot of places where they don't have to have the ability to to track and to move as as we did back in, the, that's how, as we've talked, that's how things have changed. The evolution of the dog itself, what do you need now to tree a coon? You need something to go out and tree. Well, the dogs now, we had to teach dogs to tree. Dogs didn't come in this world treeing. Yeah, you, you were trained to do that. And uh, uh, just a, as we come to where we are now, forget the tracking. I don't, you know, we don't have to do a lot of tracking because there's a lot of coon out there waiting on us, you know. Uh, you can, I, I know times are coming, people, oh, them dogs. Yeah, we we may, you may strike a track and, and run it a quarter, half a mile, a mile, or trail it or get after it before you can tree it. Nowadays, the dogs nowadays, especially in all these populated areas, they don't have to find another one in that time. Well, that's exactly right, and I think even the terminology uh, that, that we use in coon hunting today. If if you hear someone describe a successful dog today in the night hunts, they're going to say a dog that gets out there and moves around good. They use that term a lot nowadays. He moves around good. What does that mean? He's out there looking around, very busy. He may go a long distance or as far as possible, to find an easy coon that he can tree. Now, this dog doesn't know that. Yeah. But instinctively, what he's doing is finding that easy coon that you can score on, the one that's there, you know. And sometimes the trailing dog is going to end up in a den. He's going to end up, you know, maybe eat up most of the clock, that sort of thing. You want that dog to get out there, cover as much ground as he can, kind of like an all-age bird dog, you know, find that covey. Uh, That's the thing that's winning today. And you can't blame the guys that are hunting that kind of dog because that's what's winning. That's what it takes to win today. And uh, it wasn't that way back in the day that you're talking about. No, absolutely. They, we, we had different needs, and, and and everything, I guess, changes. And, you know, uh, my hair changed. I didn't know it was all going to come out, but it changed too. So, uh, And and nothing wrong with what they need today if it's uh, um, what we got, you know. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I would hunt today just like the people are today. And I did the latter part of my hunting career. But uh, I don't, uh, uh, we know they're going to change again uh, someday. I don't think you and I will be around. 
to 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 well to i think you're that. exactly right and it's been discussed in the past and i think it might have been i continue to mention uh jerry mall jerry's a really bright guy and comes up with uh, a lot of good things and uh enjoyed working several years with jerry uh that he kind of thinks that this thing is going to come full circle it's going to come back around uh that will have dogs that can as they say move around good and find these coons and tree these coons but not do it not do it in the next yeah. zip code so to speak because we are losing hunting territory uh highways i was just on a trip from here in in west florida where i live over to orlando which is a couple of hours uh east of me and just looking at the phenomenal number of new subdivisions, new highways that are being cut through the ranch country here in Florida. I mean, it's uh, that's the future. And, you know, you can't turn a dog that, that you've invested what I paid for my first house for uh, loose and head him toward an interstate highway, you know. And so the things are going to have to change back. Now, when they do, I'm not sure, and uh, but uh, you know it's uh, it's ever evolving, as you said. You know, it, it's changing all the time. Uh, okay, what about uh, some of your favorite hounds that you've had over the years? I want you to go into that, and then I want to talk to Tommy a little bit about what it's been like uh, to be uh, uh, to coon hunt with you yeah. and and come up through the ranks, so to speak, uh, as your friend. I'm asking are, are you, you asking? Lee, what about, uh, yeah, yeah about, about personal, personal dogs, dogs, or personal dogs, dogs that, that you've had that you've really liked and why? Well, I had, uh, uh, the Dinah dog who I just, uh, she, she was just a terrific friend and a terrific dog to hunt. I had the, uh, from there rock to Kentucky River rock. He was probably the most scorecard dog I've ever owned as far as putting points on the score. Uh, I, he was unique. Uh, and of course, then we got Rowdy, and, and Rowdy was the same way. Rowdy was not the same dog his daddy was. Rowdy was more of a quieter dog. Well, and Rock wasn't, wasn't a noisy either. And then, of course, there was Boomer, which is, uh, uh, came along later. And uh, he, Boomer was, and actually all of them were a little different. They, they just were some different. Some of them had traits that I didn't like as well as others. Uh, overall balanced dog, probably Rock, Kentucky Rock was as good as any I ever owned or ever had. And uh, I don't, I, I don't know. I guess you get attached to them and you put up tolerate things and don't see kind of like your kids the things they did wrong. And, uh, and well, if just, I could uh, kind of tie, yeah, we'll kind of tie this together a little bit. Now, was Rock out of Dinah? No, Rock was sister. out of jail. Okay. But there was a connection there, a family connection. Mm -hmm. That's when you, Jill? Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, they were. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, let me, I, I just, uh, let me bring this down uh, for our listeners a little bit. Okay, so Jill produced Rock, okay, and Jill was a sister. She was one of those four yeah. dogs that you got out of Mundo that you like so well, correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you're that's correct. The and then the, the ones out of Jill, the ones out of Jill were better than the litter out of Dinah, and I don't know why. 
There was a couple in Dinah's litter that were, you know, equal to the geo litter. Okay, not the same. so then we have Rock, who you say probably was your best dog as far as scoring points in a night hunt. Yeah, and, and sure. then he came along. And then yeah. Rock was the sire of Rowdy, correct? Right. Yes, and a, and a Spring Creek and a, and a Spring Creek okay. Radar female. And, and Spring Creek Rowdy Radar was, was out of Spring Creek yes. Rock, correct? No, no, Rock was out no, of no. Jill and Mundo. Radar was out of who? Rock, correct? Yes. No, radar was yeah, I, yeah, okay. rock. Yeah. I don't yeah. want I don't want to confuse you here, yeah, confuse right. you here, but I want rock. to try to establish that what these dogs as we come on down. Okay. So then you had you had uh, Rowdy, which we'll talk about in in a minute. He's a dual grand champion, won a lot of major shows and so forth. Yep. And then he produced a dog called Boomer. Boomer was out of Rowdy, yes. correct? Okay. Right, Rowdy and a. And and uh, his mama was out of. Um, uh, let me back up here. Yeah, you're I'm talking, talking about, about Boomer. Uh, uh, Rowdy was out of a leper female. Boomer okay. was out of a leper right. female. Well, what I'm trying to establish here, yeah. though, is that line yeah. came down. Now, do you have anything now? How close the dogs that you have now uh, are they to Boomer? Well, I got Willie, and Willie's a great grandpup of uh, of. Uh, uh, yeah, great grand pup uh, of Rowdy. Yeah, so I got Willie. Then the two pups I have out of Willie are, you okay. know, just right on down. But uh, that's as close as we get. Uh, now, Tommy here has a, a dog that's straight off of, of Rowdy. Yeah, Tommy, let's talk to you just a minute there, buddy. You've been great to sit in here with us and and uh, and listen to Lee and me yakking here for nearly an hour. But uh, first of all, I wanna I wanna go back and talk a little bit about you and your relationship with Lee. How did you guys first meet, and what do you remember about that? Steve, um, Lee's Lee's sitting here with me now. I, I've sent you a couple of texts. I'm sorry, Lee's got to leave. He's actually got to pick up. Austin. Oh, so we're gonna have to cut this short. Huh? And with that, we'll call the dogs and consider part one of the gone to the dogs at the Kentucky river to be a wrap. We're actually just going to suspend this episode until Lee Kearns and Tommy Lanning can come back with us and join in some great coon hunting conversation and some of that great history that Lee Kearns always is just uh, absolutely full of. With the hunting seasons in full swing around the country and Christmas right around the corner, there's no better place for you to shop for your hound hunting needs and for gifts for that special hunter in your family or your circle of friends than at W Hunting Supply. Check them out online at dusupply.com. Until next time, when someone asks you, where's Fielder? You tell them. He's gone to the dollar.